This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi there, it's Megan Mitchell from Agents of Change. Thanks for checking out my podcast. If you enjoy the content, please check out my ASWB test prep courses for the bachelor's, master's, and clinical exams. Each Agents of Change course includes more than 30 key topics that closely match the ASWB KSA content areas. Our content is great for both auditory and visual learners and includes video walkthroughs, supplemental materials, hundreds of practice questions, and twice monthly live study groups with me. You can learn more and get 10 free practice questions at agentsofchangeprep.com. Good morning, everyone. My name is Megan Mitchell, the founder of Agents of Change Social Work Test Prep, and we are so excited to have another expert in the field on our podcast today. Um, today, we will have Janine Hoff. She is a lived experience advocate and the founder of Where is the Sunshine? So welcome to our podcast, Janine. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So I guess we will go ahead and jump right in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your experience with social work and what you do as the founder of Where's the Sunshine? So I came into social work a lot later in life than most people. Um, it wasn't my primary uh, line of training or expertise. I started out in the field of music. I have a degree in that. Um, I then worked in nonprofit and I used to be a teacher as well. I taught music and um, as someone who went through, you know, a whole bunch of mental health experiences and I use the word experiences because there, there's a variety of things I, I went through. Um, I started to become an advocate because I started to see where there were lapses in treatment and services. And what I found was as someone who had what quote unquote everything, someone who had a supportive family and had home and insurance and all of those things. I found that even I had issues getting services and I found that that was difficult. If someone like me could have challenges, someone who had all the access and privilege possible, then how hard was it for everyone else? And as I began to engage with people, I realized, wow, this is a problem across the board. And I started doing a lot of mental health advocacy and that's how I founded Where is the Sunshine because I found that where I got the best treatment or support was through peers. And so I started working in the, in the peer field. And as I was in the peer field, I began to see that there was um, some issues there with how mental health professionals looked at peers and such. And I said, the only way to really help people as best as I could is to actually then go into the field myself and kind of be like a conduit between the two. I'm a peer. I'm someone with lived experience. I'm someone who's been through the system. And now I'm someone who can help on both sides as someone who's been through it and someone who has the training. And so that's kind of how I went into social work. And now as a social worker, 
in this field, I'm still a peer. I am still someone who preaches lived experience and sharing our lived experiences. And I work in both inpatient. So I work in a Baker Act receiving facility. So that's people who are held um, involuntarily. And that's something I don't enjoy. I don't like seeing people being Baker Acted. And there's a lot of reasons why they get Baker Acted. Um, that's unfair and, and wrong and all of those things. And I'm there actually supporting them and helping them navigate the system. And I also work in mobile crisis and I work in mobile crisis specifically with youth. And so when there's someone who's in crisis in our school system, I actually go out. We have a, a team, a wonderful team of people that you know, go out through the community, go assess the kids. And our goal is to divert unnecessary hospitalizations. And we have a very, very high success rate. I would say it's, you know, upper 90% or so, like 95 or so percent of getting kids into services, getting them the support that they need and um, getting them, setting up with the tools that necessary to be successful and to reduce suicidality and uh, suicidal ideation, and then getting them exactly what they need so that they don't have to end up in a hospital. That's, that's, all really interesting. And it kind of got me thinking, um, have you seen a spike in crises since the pandemic or how has um, the last two years kind of affected the populations you work with? Because I know there's been a lot of talk about a lot of um, spike in mental health diagnoses. So it's interesting because I'm in Florida and our schools have been open pretty much the entire time. They were closed for a period of time, I would say, right at, at the p- pandemic two years ago, like exactly, it was like exactly two years ago, and they were closed for the remainder of that school year. But then the next year that they opened, um, yeah, there's, there's been a spike there. I think a lot more people are aware and, and not so much children more, I think adults are aware that they can actually go out and get support. And so we've seen, I think, I would say more adults um, coming into hospitals and such, but I think more people are more comfortable with actually reaching out for services, which is, I think, a good thing. And knowing that there are these things in place, our crisis team comes from, and this is across the state of Florida, starts, came from the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas shooting. And that's how the funding got started. So now more and more kids have access to services through that funding, which is one wonderful. I mean, it's an unfortunate incident that led mm-hmm. to a you know, positive change. And so through that, I think more and more people are just getting help in general because there is access now, easier access. I also know since the pandemic, there's just a lot more talk and a lot more awareness of mental health, which I think is really good. I know there's still a very long way to go, but I do think people are talking about it more, which mm-hmm. it seems kind of crazy that we're here in 2022 and we're just starting to openly talk about it. But I do think access is greater and people are talking about it, which which is always a good thing. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and so that's interesting to me too, because what I'm seeing, and that's kind of like the the work that I do as well, is that we're seeing a lot more mental health professionals talking openly about 
their own mental health issues and that they're receiving support. Um, you, you see that there's doctors now on TikTok and on Twitter sharing their experiences, you know, with psychiatry and taking medication and going to therapy. Uh, you're also seeing, you know, people who are not in the mental health field, but are in the health field in general, mm-hmm. nurses and doctors saying that this has taken such a toll on us that we're out there getting support as well. So now it's becoming more commonplace amongst you know, the health field sharing these experiences, which I think is wonderful because I, I don't know about your training, but my training as a social worker, the, the thing was do not disclose, yep. never mm-hmm. share. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I originally started was like, I'm not going to tell anyone anything, but again, the work that I've done is so public. Anyone types my name into Google there that they're going to see all that first before they realize, oh, she's a social worker. And so um, I had no choice but to kind of just be honest, but when necessary, right? When it's beneficial to the client. Um, You know, I have patients who will say things when you're inpatient, people are, they don't want to be there most of the time. And so they will say things, well, what do you know? You don't know anything about my experiences. You just learned everything in a book. And in those instances, I never say, well, actually, you know, because that's then that's you just going challenging each other. That's that's of no benefit. Um, But to talk to someone who's suicidal and to say to them, yeah, I've been there. I've actually gone through that. I I understand it sets up a whole new world where they feel, you know, wow, there is someone else who Mm -hmm. has been through this and has come out on the other side and that there, you can be successful. You can um, get past this, or you can learn to live alongside of it and live a healthy life, even with having those experiences and such. Yeah, similarly, so I graduated with my MSW 10 years ago, and it was very similar, like you compartmentalize this, you share only the minimum that you need to. And I think that puts more added stress on helping professionals to feel Mm -hmm. like I can't even express what I'm going through. And um, a lot of times it felt like we have to be so strong for our clients, but no one's being strong for us. So I think that I'm also really happy to see that there's a lot more open talk about social workers, helping professionals going through also their own experiences and mm-hmm. reaching out for help when we need to. Because at, I, I've i been talking with a lot of people through these podcasts. At the end of the day, we're still human beings. Yes. And we still have the needs of human beings. And I think sometimes that gets glossed over in the profession. So I'm really happy that there is a lot more self-awareness that is going on around mental health and um, self-care and you know wellness in general. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I just think it, it, we are human, right? And it, it's okay to connect with, with people on that level. And, you know, there's this hierarchy that sometimes gets created, like we're the experts and they're the, um, the client, the patient, whomever. And um, 
I believe that the, they are the expert on themselves and we're Absolutely. just there to be their partner. This is a collaboration. We are there to help guide them from, you know, a non-judgmental perspective and help them get where they need to be. Um, but yeah, we're, this is a partnership. There's no, there's no hierarchy in the work that I do. And I think it actually, it really, I've seen such benefit with it, with, for, for these clients. Absolutely. I think it helps build rapport. I think it helps them feel more connected and it normalizes things for them, right? Like you're it not, does. A, right. Yeah, it really wow. does. So I think that's really helpful. So in your work in the field, is there a lesson that you've learned either personally, or professionally, um, that comes to mind that you want to share with people maybe that are new to the field or seasoned in the field? Um, you know, I think that we have to look at everyone individually, right? And, and we're, and we're taught that and we're taught to, you know, look at their whole life experiences and all the stuff that they've been through and, you know, put it all together and come up with something for them. Right. Um, I, I think we have to just look at people as, you know, their past is a part of them, but that does not inhibit their future, right? They can take that past and use it to their advantage. And it's such an interesting thing when you realize that and you can empower people and say, you know, your trauma, yeah, it was horrible, but you can use that to help others. And I've talked to people where I've said to them, like, have you ever thought about becoming a victim's advocate? You know, yeah, you've been trafficked. Yeah. You you've gone through, I mean, sexual trauma. Um, yeah. You've, you've been in uh, jail for, you know, substance use and drug dealing, whatever it, it is. And so you can actually take that and use that to your advantage. And I had someone a few weeks ago who had been in jail multiple times. And he said, I just want a chance. I want to work, but my record doesn't allow me to. And I said, well, then we will find the program that will help you do that. And, and, and just that, even that little bit, and I, we did find a program to get them into so that they can start working that takes, um, people with a record and even people with a violent record, um, they take it on a case by case basis. And that just that little step, I mean, they were homeless, they had a history of substance use. Uh, and I mean, you know, for most people, they would just keep going through that cycle unless someone says, yes, you can, I believe in you. And I'm going to take that chance. I'm going to say, I, I, you can do this and just set them up with the program. And now they have housing and now they're in the work training program so that they can, you know, earn an income so that they can have a, a successful life. And I think once you learn that, once you learn that it just takes that little step, I think it's so, so helpful to people. I agree. Um, something that came to mind when you were talking about that is I think as social workers, we truly have to believe that everyone is capable of change. Mm -hmm. um, that is so central to the work that we do. And that's kind of how agents of change was formulated is that every person, it's not just social workers, every person can be an agent of change. Um, so that's kind of where our name came from is that we want to inspire and let everyone know that they are capable of change you, and that they have a lot in your past but that doesn't dictate your future yeah and that that the change is coming from them it's just i here's the tool 
right? You here it is and you take that and then you can do it. And that's the thing. We're not doing it for them. We're not saviors. We're here. Here's the tools you need and just go and you can prosper. Absolutely. So I know that you work in crisis and inpatient, which can be very high stress, um, a lot of burnout. How do you practice self-care or manage your stress um, to be able to be healthy holistically for yourself and for your clients? You know, I thrive in, in a chaotic environment. That's that's my thing. I happen to have a wonderful set of colleagues and we hold each other up. And it is so nice that we all, you know, it, especially in, in patient, we all know about the patients. I can go talk to them. We kind of feed off of each other. And if I see someone um, not, you know, kind of uh, getting upset or, you know, I can kind of jump in and take over and they do the same thing thing for me. Um, what I, I do in my own time is I am very specific about this is my time and this is no one's interfering with it. And for me, family time is very important and outside time. I know that sounds so funny, but I, I live in Florida. Our weather is generally nice most of the year. And so go, you know, we go hiking, we kayak, we go to the beach a lot. We, we look for shark's teeth, which, you know, is, I have a collection of thousands of shark's teeth. That to me is really important. Just being outside in nature, being with my family, not being disrupted. And what I think is the most important, the thing that changed my life is sleep. Mm, my sleep, yeah. I am the sleep police. When it's time for me <laughs> to go to bed, I don't care what else is happening in the world. It will have to wait till tomorrow. Um, I go to bed at the same time every day. And I get my eight, nine hours of sleep every single night. And I have my routine. I used to not be a sleeper. And that's kind of where, you know, I got me into my mental health issues also was working up all night doing whatever I need to do for work. And I mean, I'd sleep two hours a night. And if you don't sleep, it, it leads to all other issues. And that to me is my number one priority is when I'm sleepy and it's time for me to go to bed, I go to bed. End of story. <laughs> I love that you talked about sleep because I am very regimented in my sleep at two. So today is Sunday. I always go to bed earlier on Sunday, unwind. And similarly, I have a routine. So I've worked in a school for 10 years and you have to have a pretty strong routine because you got to be at, into the building by 745. So sleep is super important to me too. Um, and I think it's something that's underrated, right? Like you hear that phrase, oh, who needs sleep? You know, you need mm -hmm. sleep. It is a basic need. So I agree if people are not setting really good regimens um, and practicing sleep hygiene, right? That's something that I tell my clients about all the time too. It's going to really throw off a lot of things. So sleep is essential. If we cannot, um, if you take one point away from today, let it be that you need sleep. Yeah. And what's interesting is I have a significant population that I work with that are homeless mm. and trying to teach or even discuss home sleep hygiene with people who yeah. are homeless, don't have a place to sleep is incredibly difficult. And so it, it's a matter of saying, okay, if you can just get those two hours, you know, and I know you have to protect yourself, you're right. on the streets. Um, it, it is not the easiest. And that's where a lot of them lack. And so it's something to always think about in the back of your mind that 
even what we teach our, our clients, um, there are people who it is not possible for, for a whole host of reasons, even things like we talk about nutrition stuff, you know, my homeless clients, my, you know, uh, food insecure clients. It, it, it's always, you know, they, but they'll say things like, well, I have to eat fast food because I don't have a home. I said, okay, so if you can try and get a salad, like mm-hmm. that might be an option for it, right? Just one meal healthier or a piece of fruit with it, right? And so you have to kind of always think that there's someone out there that this may not apply to. Yeah, that's a really good point that having access to a good night's sleep is a privilege. Mm-hmm. And um, it is. You're, you're very, very right. Because I work in schools and sometimes kids, you know, we would love for them to get a good night's sleep, but we don't know what's going on in the home. They also might be housing insecure. They might have, you know, um, different people caring for them throughout the night, or there might be stuff going on in the home that they can't. A lot of times kids are like, I wasn't able to sleep last night. And that's something that I really have to talk with teachers about because unfortunately, you know, it's like, we got to teach to these standards. Kids have to mm-hmm. perform. They can't perform. They can't, are not available for learning if they're tired. Yep. So I work with the little ones and sometimes they're tired and we just let them sleep at school. This is why they're at school is to provide support and safety. And if they need to sleep, we let them sleep. And that can be very hard. I think for some educators they're like but they're not learning it's like well they they weren't going to be at their best learning anyway because they didn't get a good night's sleep so I definitely agree that sometimes you know it is definitely a privilege to have access to a good night's sleep it it absolutely is you know and and the education I was a teacher so I get how you know the education like you have to like meet all those benchmarks and standards and so you know sometimes we have to think outside the box it's not all cookie cutter Absolutely. And I sometimes think that there's a lot of pressure from administration, right? Like mm-hmm. I've had principals come in and say, why is this kid, you know, in the, the corner relaxing and having teachers have to advocate for the needs of their students, I think can be hard just because the systems are so tricky and there's a lot of things tied to funding and test scores. So there's a lot of things in the school system that um, are not beneficial to the best needs of children. So I think that can be very tricky as well. Yeah, and I, any system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so changing gears here a little bit. Um, so obviously this is the Agents of Change podcast. How are you an agent of change, or what does that mean to you? So I think an agent of change is anyone who sees the system, notices its faults, notices its weaknesses and its strengths as well, and takes that and then elevates it or tries to modify it whichever way. And, you know, I I do see some social workers who are very rigid, who do not like um, any kind of constructive criticism or feedback, right? And we're seeing that now um, with a lot of the um, social workers who are um, like anti, uh, what's the term? I don't want to say anti-policing, but, you know, trying to modify, they're into the anti-racism work in social work, um, recognizing privilege, um, all of that. And so I see that there's a lot of negative responses when they hear something like that. And, And to me, we have to recognize that that's what social work is when we see that there is um, a need for 
change. We have to say like, hey, you know what, we can do this better. Because ultimately, the work that we do, we're not doing for ourselves, we are trying to help individuals of all diverse needs of all diverse backgrounds, right. And so sometimes we have to and I and I hate this term be their voice, because I believe everyone has a voice, but sometimes people don't have the access to use it, but we do. And so we have to call out those behaviors or where we can improve things. You know, I'm in Florida right now. Oh, I'm, that's where I live. I'm always in Florida. But right now we have um, this new policy that's being implemented in the schools. They're calling it the don't say gay bill. Yeah. And as a social worker, as a therapist, as someone who works with kids, I see all the harm that this can can bring. I, you know, I have a significant number of youth who are in crisis, who are LGBTQ. And, you know, part of the issue is the home, right? Their, their parents aren't accepting, or they're afraid to share with the parents, or they run the risk of even abuse in the home if they do find out, right? And the school has become their safe space, which is interesting because for a lot of kids, you know, school is a source of trauma issues and all of that, right? And, and, but it's kind of the opposite, you know, they feel safe going to the teacher, they feel safe going to the guidance counselor or whomever. And now this is kind of going to throw that into limbo. And we are looking at what are the effects that this will bring to them in terms of crisis, in terms of their mental health and such. And it's my role as, as a social worker to speak out against this and saying, you know what, this is not, you know, your goal, so you say, is to protect children, but there's a significant number of children who are not going to be protected under this and that I have to speak out for them because I have the access, I have the privilege, I'm, I'm an adult, these are children, and right. we have to advocate for them. And that's kind of what being an agent of change is. We have to kind of speak out against these policies that may be harmful to people. I absolutely agree. And um, we've I've been talking a lot with a lot of social workers about how social work is not just, you're not just in purely clinical, it all connects, right? We work mm-hmm. within systems. So clinical work, right? I've been doing clinical work, but I also work within systems and I want to advocate for policies. So I think that that that's what's great about social work is it is so versatile and it goes between so many systems because we don't exist in a vacuum or clients don't exist in a vacuum. So advocating, and there's a lot of push towards social workers getting involved in political advocacy or policy advocacy. So I think it's super important that right? We, we have our expertise, our field, but it goes so much bigger than that because state to state, it's different, right? Yep. County to county, family to family, it's different. So we just have to see clients as um, part of a system and larger systems and how that has to play with our clients. So I definitely agree. It's, there's so much to unpack um, with systems and how this affects our clients and how, like you said, we can elevate our voices um, and help clients elevate their voices to kind of speak out for what we think is just and fair. That's completely the point of social work, right? Is to um, help systems help the greater population. So definitely important. And that to me is why I went to social work. I always get, people always ask me like, in, in the field, why didn't you become an LMHC? Why didn't you go into the mental health mm-hmm. field only? And I said, because this allows me to work with both mental health and the systems out there because the systems 
impact the mental health. And, you know, my niche is suicide prevention. It's suicide alley. That's been my focus the whole time, but not all suicide or suicidal ideations or any of that is because of mental health. It's because of the stuff around it. it's about poverty it's about food insecurity right. it's about um discrimination racism homophobia all of those things impact how a person feels and thinks about themselves and can impact you know suicide and so that's kind of why i went to that field especially policy policy can impact people on many many different levels right and we think of you know policy is very broad but it can actually impact a person individually and that's kind of why I was like, I can do both of these things at the same time. Absolutely. I always tell people, don't sell yourself short with your social work degree. You, we have so many skills and it's such a diverse skill set, which similarly that like I considered going, getting, you know, just going into the education field. And I was like, I think I can make the greatest impact as a social worker. So I'm just blown away by the cool things social workers are doing and um, how, versatile we are, which I think it's, it's such, I'm so proud to be part of this field. I think that, you know, there's so much that we can offer in so many different ways. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today and sharing your expertise. How can other people get involved with what you're doing, or if they're interested in crisis prevention or suicidality, um, what are some ways they can get involved? You know, I say, look locally, right? Okay. Yeah. Look at what you're, what is happening in your community, because I mean, there's major organizations that are doing this work, but if you want to have real impact, you have to see what's in your town, in your community, because that's where the work is really being done. We are in the trenches um, you know, and, and that's, I think the most part, and I would say, look at the, um, you know, grassroots organizations mm -hmm. versus the national organization. They have the funding, they get the national funding, they get all of that kind of support. Um, but it's the grassroots people who are out there kind of really getting the feel of what's on the ground. And I think that's so important. Um, you know, that's how we kind of started. And that's the work that we do. It's locally, but we kind of We'll educate people wherever and wherever the support, you know, the need is um, and where people need support and, you know, go on Twitter. And, and as weird as Twitter can be, that's where I found my community. That is where I found people to really connect with and really interesting voices and diverse voices. And you might not agree with what they have to say, but it can influence you later down the line. When I first started in this field, I was like, oh, this is, these are some rogue points of view. But as <laughs> I was more and more into, I was like, okay, I understand why they have this point of view. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it now I agree with. And you can see all different kinds of voices and how we interact. And, you know, you can just follow, follow me on Twitter at yes, you shine and, um, you know, and go through, the, go through there. Awesome. Those were some really good tips. I think people sometimes forget social media can be a way mm -hmm. to connect. Um, you know, it's a double-edged sword sometimes, but definitely that's, that's the world we're living in, right? Technology is a big piece of the puzzle. So I think that's a really, thank you for sharing that, that just Twitter, it's very interesting. I'm on Twitter as well. Just getting those diverse points of view. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes people feel more comfortable sharing on social media. So you have to take that into account too, that some people feel more comfortable in the social media space sharing. So and I that's agree. why it's so important for kids. And it sounds so strange. Yeah, there's a harmful aspect to it, but a lot of kids find their community or find people like them and realize, oh, this is okay through social media. So we have to understand the world is changing. And yeah, so... I think especially in the past two years, we've had to adapt and use technology a lot more than we ever thought. So lean into technology. Um, Like you said, start locally, right? You're going to make the greatest impact in the communities that you're involved in. Um, So I I definitely think that's good advice. Start locally, right? Yeah. You are an important voice in your community. Yep. That's, that's the way to go. Well, thank you so much, Janine, for being with us today and sharing your expertise. I know we talked about a lot of different things, but I know that this is going to be super helpful to social workers in the field. And I just want to thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you.